0: Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is June the 28th, 2023. The Orioles are 48 and 30 after a 3 to 1 loss to the Cincinnati Reds on Tuesday night. And you know, when you only give up five hits, you should really win that game, except when you only get three hits, you're probably going to lose that game. And this fact, combined with the, uh, the loss, combined with the long rain delay in the game, means that I'm probably going to actually finish this podcast when it's actually morning. And, you know, I'm too old for this, so that's probably going to make for a bit of a grumpy podcast. Now, that said, although I'm recording this late, the Rays and the Yankees are both out west, so both of their games are not over yet, as I'm saying this, and I don't know what the Orioles' deficit in the AL East or advantage over teams below them will be by the end of the night. But what I can tell you is that the Orioles are still on a 100-win pace at the 48% mark of the season. They are guaranteed to have a winning June With two games still to play in the month. So that has got them on pace still to kind of follow my very modest goal of at least have a better than 500 record every month this season, which they've done so far. So from here on, that would require them to go at least 14 and 12 in July, at least 14 and 13 in August, and at least 15 and 14 in September and the one game in October. So if you add those three things, and let's say, just for kicks, the Orioles win one of their next two remaining games in June, that gets the team to 92 wins. So, yeah, I'm still taking the under on the 100-win pace, but I think that that low 90s win total is pretty doable if they can just keep uh, putting together slightly better than 500 stretches, which really isn't asking too much. Okay, so Tuesday's game... While I absolutely hate going to what I think of as the Dave Tremblay-era loser attitude of, well, sometimes you got to tip your cap to the other team, Um, you don't have to tip your cap, actually, but we do want to be honest that the Tuesday game was always looking like it could potentially be the toughest game of the series if Reds rookie pitcher pitched in his game against the Orioles, like he had done in his first few major league starts. And, you know, the, uh, he came into the game with what, a 1.14 ERA over his first four career starts. Now he's made five starts and he's still got a pretty darn good ERA. And so, you know, Abbott, maybe he's going to end up being actually a good pitcher. And if he is, he will be a pitcher to kind of break the, um, University of Virginia college pitcher, first two rounds, quote unquote, curse, which stretching back to 2011, there have been a swath of guys who've been taken from the University of Virginia in uh, the first two rounds who've amounted to little to nothing. And that list of guys is uh, Daniel Lynch, Tommy Doyle, Connor Jones, Nathan Kirby, Josh Spores, Nick Howard. Brandon Klein, former Oriole, and Danny Holtson. And yeah, I mean, that's not a distinguished list to be on. Josh Spores, okay, he's an okay reliever. Um, Well, a 4.29 career ERA right now, which actually isn't very good, but he does have a 2.59 ERA for the Rangers this season. And Daniel Lynch, well, his career, the book isn't totally written on him, although it is for pretty much every other guy I named. Um, He's got a solid ERA this year with the Royals, although he does have a bad fit and he had a 5-plus ERA in his first two big league seasons. So, yeah, looking like kind of a clunker. Oh, and by the way, Josh Spores, a little Orioles connection. When the Orioles cheaply uh, jumped Ryan Webb's salary in 2015, reliever Ryan Webb, rather than just designate him for assignment, they dumped his salary to the Dodgers and packaged a competitive balance pick with that selling of Webb to the Dodgers so that the Dodgers would pay Webb's salary, and that competitive balance pick, the only kind that can be traded in the MLB draft, was used on Josh Spores. So there you go, little Orioles connection. But anyway, against Andrew Abbott on Tuesday night, the Orioles mustered only two hits, and both of those hits were picked up by Jordan Westberg in playing his second major league game. The team's only run in the game scored on a sacrifice fly. It felt like They had some opportunities, well, really like one opportunity to do better than that. Really, it was the seventh inning. And the seventh inning was one of those really kind of stupid innings. Abbott was finally out of the game. Cedric Mullins led off the inning with a walk, only to be caught stealing. Uh, Later, after Westberg drew a walk to get on base with one out, pinch hitter Ryan O'Hearn took an absolutely horrible swing on a 3-0 pitch. With one out, and that turned out to be uh, be a uh, ground out instead of it could have been something awesome uh, to end the inning. Austin Hayes was the victim of a terrible called strike early in the count before being legitimately called out on strikes later. A little bit earlier in the game, one of the Reds runs scored because Aaron Hicks made kind of it looked to me like a misplay off of a ricochet off the center field wall that turned into a run scoring double. Um, That was annoying. The Orioles then um, committed to having a almost no lefty lineup against lefty Andrew uh, Abbott, except they still had Gunnar Henderson, the lefty, in the cleanup spot. So that was pretty weird. And they certainly weren't rewarded for this. Henderson went over three with three strikeouts against Abbott. Though, in fairness to Henderson, he did get a two-out double in the eighth inning. So once Abbott was out of the game, Henderson tried his best. Okay, so... Jordan Westberg, he's now got three hits and two walks over his first two games. And by the way, that came against left-handed starters, which is generally, well, so far this year, lefty pitchers have been his weaker side, despite being a right-handed batter. So he's been a reverse splits player. He's made a couple of slick defensive plays, and that included in his major league debut game, a really sweet glove flip to Jorge Mateo uh, covering second base, the kind of thing you don't even really expect veteran great defenders to make every time so Westberg I mean I'm glad the Orioles brought him up I'm glad he's here I hope that we get to see him regularly and that he does not end up getting kind of buried as his uh, fellow prospect his fellow infield prospect Joey Ortiz was so yeah the Orioles starting pitcher Tyler Wells he ends up taking the loss although it's one of those games where he really didn't deserve it he only allowed four hits and one walk over his six innings, which by the way, is good enough to lower his season whip to 0.885, which still leads all of Major League Baseball. However, he takes the loss due to allowing a solo home run that ultimately broke a one-to-one tie. So yeah, that sucks for him, but he has a 3.21 ERA after pitching in 16 games this season. Homer's The homers that he gives up still make me nervous about him all the time. It seems like every start I'm like, okay, he's going to somehow now load the bases and then give up a grand slam. But he mostly hasn't been doing that, and that's a darn great first half of the season. So yeah, Wednesday night's game against the Reds. uh, There are no must-win games in June. However, it's going to be really good if the Orioles win this rubber game. Because the red starting pitcher is Luke Weaver, who will be bringing a 6.86 ERA across 12 games started into that game. So, I mean, yeah, that's a guy the Orioles need to wake back up their offense and just knock the stuffing out of him. Weaver is a right handed pitcher who actually also has reverse splits this year. He is allowing a 976 OPS to right handed batters. Now, mind you, he's also bad against left handed batters, allowing an 862 OPS to them. He's been bad at home, he's been bad on the road, and he's been really bad in the first inning, allowing a total of 19 earned runs in 12 starts. So that's actually going to be a bit of a um, stoppable force versus a movable object, because the Orioles, for all of their strengths this year, are a very weak first inning offense. They came into Tuesday's game uh, with a 6-11 OPS for their batters in the first inning. They've only scored 30 runs in the first inning in 78 games. That is their worst inning for hitting by far. I don't know why. That is the case. It's kind of annoying. It seems like, you know, with as many good hitters as they've had at the top of the lineup, they should really be ready to attack starting pitchers who are not very good in the first inning. And by and large, that just has not been happening for the Orioles this year, so They really need to reverse that trend on Wednesday night so that they can find a way to win this series against the Reds. It won't be the worst thing in the world if the Orioles end up losing the Wednesday game and losing the series. It does seem like this Reds team might be a decent team, you know, even at home. You're not going to win every series, whatever. But yeah, Luke Weaver, 6.86 ERA. That's really all there is to say about it. There is no excuses for the Orioles to not tee off on him. So they better do it. And... Then, once the Orioles offense has done that, we really are going to need Kyle Gibson to bounce back from his worst start in an Orioles uniform to date to keep the Reds uh, held down. You know, the Reds, although it's a split of the two games so far, the Reds have only scored six games across, uh, six runs across those first two games. So it would be good if the Orioles can not have the Reds offense wake up suddenly as soon as the Orioles offense wakes back up after Tuesday night. We'll see. Of course, that's why they play the games. The mailbag is empty for this episode. If you have an Orioles opinion that you would like to share on the show or just a question you'd like me to answer for a future episode, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. Thank you to everyone who has written in so far. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so for the second half of tonight's show, we will continue on, or this morning's show, we will continue on with our Prospect of the Episode feature, now talking about each time one unheralded prospect who did not make the top 30 composite Orioles prospect list that I've posted to CamdenChat.com and revisiting one prospect who we talked about now months ago. So tonight's unheralded prospect is Alex Pham, a right-handed pitcher drafted by the Orioles in the 19th round of the 2021 draft. He received a $25,000 bonus from the University of San Francisco. The Orioles took him as a fourth-year kind of COVID senior. Maybe he might have been drafted in a later round in the 2020 draft, if that had been a normal year and a normal draft. It was not. So 2021... The Orioles, well, they did themselves, did not draft a pitcher until the fifth round of that draft. Then they went on to select eight pitchers in rounds 11 to 20, and the draft now ends after 20 rounds. So they really piled on the pitchers in the back half of the draft. That's been the pattern so far in the Mike Elias era. That's, uh, that's just when they have decided to load up on pitchers because I guess they don't want to spend high draft picks on pitchers when they could get hurt. They could turn out to not be as good as anyone thinks or whatever. And so we've already talked in the ranked section about uh, 11th round pick, Justin Armbruster, who did make the rankings. And that's uh, that's good for him. But, you know, it, it's going to be nice if the Orioles can get some other pitching prospects out of these kind of unheralded guys. So, yeah, that brings us to Alex Pham. So in college, in his draft year, He did have a decent number of strikeouts. He struck out 72 batters in 51 and a third innings while serving as a reliever. And now keep in mind, that's against the competition he was playing, whoever the University of San Francisco plays. That's not the SEC or the ACC or whatever. It's not the Pac-10. He walked too many batters. He had a 5.2 walks per nine innings in his draft year. And really he was a reliever in the pros before this year as well. So for whatever reason, the Orioles have decided to convert fam into a starter or at least bulk reliever this season. And so starting the season at high a Aberdeen, uh, he's gone on to have 76 strikeouts in 51 and the third innings for the Aberdeen IronBirds, which that's pretty good. A little bit concerning. The walk rate is still high 4.4 walks per nine innings. Um, he ended up winning the South Atlantic League, League Pitcher of the Month for the month of May. And at 23 years old, he is a bit old for a prospect at the high A level, although he's not ancient. Um, he was slightly below the average age for a player at that level. And Pham recently got promoted to Double A Bowie, where he's now about a year younger than the average player there at that level. Made, uh, it's two games there, not much to say about that yet. But you know my philosophy on these guys is always and will always be that I would like to see guys who are succeeding at their current level be challenged with a promotion to the next level and see what happens. And you know, Fam, I'm sure is not on any prospect list because he's only five foot eleven inches, which is quote unquote short for a pitcher. Um, you know, I that he he doesn't make any prospect list anywhere really. So there's like no. Nowhere to even look and see what they say about okay, what's his velocity? What's his spin? What kind of pitches does he throw? Like I frequently have cited the FanGraphs top thirty-eight Orioles prospect list, which uh, doesn't have Fam ranked. It doesn't have Fam mentioned among the couple dozen of honorable mention guys that were there. He was just not even really thought of. Getting good results, got good results, got himself promoted to the Double A Bowie Bay Sox and. For fam, you know, I hope that he can go on to have a nice second half for Bowie, and then, who knows, maybe he will pitch himself up into where he's actually ranked, like the 11th rounder from that 2021 draft, Justin Brewster. Who knows? I guess we will see. Okay, so, revisited. We are back to revisiting the number five prospect on that composite top 30, number five, Colton Kowser. and... You know, the thing about him, through May the 16th, he was batting three thirty one with Triple A Norfolk, a .469 on-base percentage, .554 slugging percentage, had hit seven home runs in his first 37 games. That was great. Not so great. He suffered a quad injury that put him on the injured list for about three weeks, so I think that kind of puts Couser in a similar situation to what we ended up having to see with Grayson Rodriguez last year in that... He was performing in such a way that it felt like the promotion was just feeling like almost inevitable, like it could happen any day now. And maybe that actually wasn't the case. Maybe the Orioles were not, you know, within days of promoting Rodriguez. Maybe they weren't in mid-May within days of promoting Kowser, But we'll never know because he suffered that quad injury and that took him out for about three weeks. So the good news is that was not as long a term of an injury as uh, Rodriguez suffered last year. But it was very bad luck because since Cedric Mullins hurt himself on May the 29th, so almost two weeks after Kowser was hurt, he was still out. He maybe would have been the easy guy to bring up, but he still needed to be brought back at all and then built back up to full game speed. So the Orioles, instead of calling up Kowser, they turned to Aaron Hicks off the scrap heap, which has worked out okay so far, to my great surprise But, I mean, I think that, well, I mean, I don't, you know, you can't complain about Aaron Hicks' performance so far. It would have been nice to have things work out to see Kauser already. That's just not the way it went. So, okay, one other difference from what happened with the Grayson Rodriguez injury is this. Kowser is not struggling since his return from the injury. He is batting .298 with a .393 on-base percentage and .447 slugging percentage in 15 games he's played in the month of June. Now, that is his worst month so far, but that's still pretty good results if that's your worst month so far. Maybe a little bit of a concern, he has struck out 28% of the time this month compared to 23.8% for the season. The two big concerns that really got him hammered on the Fangraphs scouting report before this season—that strikeout rate was one of them. Uh, it's now down compared to what they were concerned about with last season. Maybe still a little bit higher than you would like it to see, uh, like to see for a top hitting prospect. But you know, um, I think below twenty-five percent is okay, and that's what he's at. And the other big concern is whether Cowser would be able to stick in center field and I've been hoping he will. Uh, He had mostly been playing center field before his injury. However, it does seem noteworthy to me that he's now played nine out of the 11 games he's played on defense in right field after coming back from that injury. So I don't know. Is that the Orioles being cautious about not wanting Kowser to have to run as hard after hurting his quad, maybe an outfield corner spot less likely to need to show off the range as a center fielder? Have the Orioles change their minds about whether Couser is actually going to be capable of being a center fielder at the big league level? Or are they just having him play right field because it's going to be easier to fit him into the Orioles roster picture this year or even next year if he plays an outfield corner? I don't know the answer to that. Um, maybe even the Orioles don't. It could be a little bit of all of those. And how he uh, plays, you know, where he is eventually inserted at the big league level is going to depend on kind of the winds of random chance they already kind of turned against uh cowser in having him be hurt when mullins was hurt but we don't know what will develop over the remaining three months of the regular season anybody could get hurt also uh we don't want to see it happen but it's always a possibility and it'll be good if cowser is ready to step in at any outfield spot where he's possibly needed One good thing for Kowser is that against left-handed pitching, he's got, okay, a bit of a small sample size of 50 plate appearances, but so far this season, he is hitting .317 with a .420 on base and .512 slugging against a weak half of uh, his platoon lefties. Kowser is a lefty batter, and so, you know, it is expected you are worse against your same-handed batter or pitcher. Not always. We discussed some reverse splits, guys, earlier on this episode, but for the most part, that is the case. And so Kowser, that one thing wrong with him for lefties, he has struck out 34% of the time against lefties this year. It's only 21% against righties. So that's a survivable platoon split. Um, but maybe there is something to sources or you know uh, prospect writers that are concerned that Kowser ends up more as a platoon outfielder. Uh, But the other thing is, you know, where are the Orioles going to fit Kowser into the the picture this season? Every outfielder they have right now is at 800 OPS or better. Other than Ryan McKenna, I don't want to dump on him too much, but, you know, he almost doesn't count. I'm, I'm talking Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Anthony Santander, Aaron Hicks with the Orioles. All those guys OPSing better than 800. There's no room to put in even a prospect who you think will debut and do pretty well. Unlike calling up Westberg, where there was plenty of room in the infield with weaker-hitting middle infielders. So I don't know. I mean, there's no rush to get Kowser on the 40-man roster as a 2021 draft pick out of college. He is not actually Rule 5 eligible until after next season. Now, I certainly hope the Orioles do not wait that long to get Kowser on the 40-man roster. That either means something very bad has happened with Kowser like getting hurt or his performance tailing off, or I guess it might mean he ended up as trade bait and got traded to someone else, and that's why he never ends up on the Orioles forty man roster. I don't know, uh I don't know what's gonna happen with him. I hope he keeps raking for Norfolk and practically forcing the Orioles to call him up. I think that would be a fun outcome for everybody. Of course I root for that for every prospect that's made it at least to Norfolk and Cowser especially. I think it will be good for the Orioles if the next wave of outfielders starts to arrive in the form of Kowser and maybe hopefully not too long after him, uh, Heston Kerstad, because although it's not too much fun to think about, oh, who's going to leave as a free agent or whatever, it is nonetheless the case that uh, Anthony Santander will be a free agent after the 2024 season, and Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes will be free agents after 2025. So it is going to be good for the Orioles to start to assemble an outfield that can arrive before those guys, uh, go elsewhere. And, you know, Kowser's going to be, I think the first guy who's going to have to either step up or maybe not be in that picture. Others, like I said, Kerstad, and then you're going to be talking about, uh, Dylan Beavers, Judd Fabian, whatever. We'll see. We'll see if they can do it. I really hope Kowser can be the one to get there first though. So that's all that I have got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will be back with you on Friday morning, hopefully with a fun Wednesday Orioles game against the Reds to talk about. In between now and then, you can leave a comment on camdenchat.com. There in the comments, I go by the name Eat More SK. And you can also tweet at me, at Camden Chat on Twitter. Good morning, Birdland, as a Camden cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, Go O's!